0: You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin.
1: The Taiwanese American Arts Council has been selected to be an organization in residence on Governor's Island from May to October of this year. The Taiwanese American Arts Council's house is at Building 7B in Nolan Park on New York's Governor's Island. There will be several artists in residence there. About 20 or 30 artists will use the studios there. Every month there is something new to see and experience at the house. The art on exhibit is ever changing. Plus, there are performances and other events. Altogether, 40 artists will be involved. The Taiwanese American Arts Council is the only Asian organization on Governor's Island this year. In this episode, you'll learn about the theme of the house, From Island to Island, and what's going to be happening there in September. As you walk up to the Asian American Arts Council's building, 7B, the first thing you'll see is what appears to be several oversized dandelions placed on the front lawn. I spoke to the artist Maxine Liu and asked her what inspired her to create them. So the inspiration uh,
2: for the dental lines come from my home sick. So um, as as we know, dental lines are uh, used in uh, many different so such as. Um, uh, some people use dandelions as a Chinese medicine. They can also use a nature dye. But the general, you can see dandelions in in everywhere in the every world. So and also and the, and the why we can see dandelions in the every every place in the world because they have like a very strong like a life strength so and um, they pollinate by wind and uh, when they their seed land, they then they grow up to um, another another piece very quickly so um, in Taiwan when I was a little child we used to uh, blow the dendro lines and uh, make a wish and uh, we believe uh, the wish through the, the, the seed and when they land then the, our dream will, will, will grow Con- represent con- coming true. So when I see uh, when i in the U.S., uh, now it's my six years uh, to living here. Uh, here. And when I see those cinder lines, it reminds me of uh, 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 the memories from the childhood. So it's, it's just like a, um, I feel uh, connect again to my hometown. So <laughs> when those see. And the, the materials fi- by those things, I use the found out uh, which is a, a a light bulb. The outside those those spark is um, the zip tied. So um, these lines, uh they can actually light up during the I night. Yes, like <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they can light up um, by uh, uh, remote control. And uh, so um, and uh, so when they light up uh, during the night, I feel it's like uh, the moon. And the, and the why it's a the, the, it's like a the moonlight and the, the moon is also like a you can see from all the place in the wall so it's it's also uh, part of the connection so I try to con- connect uh, both uh, elements the dandelions and the, the moon together in this piece.
1: Maxine told me that she creates art with found objects, so I asked her if the ideas for the art she creates is based on a concept that she has in her mind first or by the materials that she finds? I think
2: this is very interesting question. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, to me, I feel some uh, the concept for me is, is more priority. So uh, I, I, I often have the concept first, and then I decide what kind of materials or technique I should pursue for uh, the concept. And mostly uh, the sculpture type of things, I use... Um, Uh, find objects and uh, because find objects they often have uh, their own history Uh, what they come from and what's the, the 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 Maybe they have they have a function. they've Maybe maybe they are in uh, they are very important in certain uh, century, or they <coughs> maybe they represent something else. So I feel when we uh, adopt the found fu- object into the new piece, uh, this action, the uh, this process, uh, I call is a uh, transforming. So this transaction is uh, how you combine. Uh, the new thinking into those found objects. So found objects is is very common using in my in my sculpture on installation uh, arts. But I also do printmaking drawing as well.
1: So when you say found objects, that's literally something that you just. Find somewhere you just look for it and it's recycled. Is that what that means?
2: Mm-hmm. So found object uh, uh, often means uh, the um, uh, the second goods. So for example, uh, and then they can come from a uh, uh, multiple ways. So for example, you find on the street, or you you collect from your friend, or you adopt from a recycling center, or you reuse uh, or repurpose from an, an someone else. Tho- those are are, are like a, a second use but uh, fun objects uh, usually we don't mean that oh we go to a store and, or, and, and buy a, a new things that's for uh, multiple meaning, and because I feel when I uh, doing those found objects, I feel and um, I like I really enjoy to looking at the history that's already behind those mm-hmm. those objects, yeah. and the, those uh, history often uh, connect or often like a, a clue um, about the community or. Um, the place itself, or often about the time. So, for example, uh, sometimes I find like a, like a old radios like from the uh, 70th century. And I'm like a, when I uh, deassemble lo- those uh, those things and I look at, oh, in the in the past there is like a, they use some gear, motor instant using like a um, like a battery. It's like a, you know complete difference. And and then, and then in that time the phone operation you use um longer but but uh, nowadays, you see like uh, people, everyone have the, the iPhone and they only lease for like a couple of years. And then when they broke, no one knows how to fix. And then we just got like uh, more and more electronic ways. So um, when I, uh, I started with uh, the, um, the front object as a materials, but uh, later I become too, um, very uh, focused on the environmental arts things uh, from, from lo, lo, those objects. And uh, environmental arts, um, recollege arts, eco-arts, and uh, 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 those things, that's, that's about our, our uh, plant.
1: The Taiwanese American Arts Council's Executive Director is Lucia Mehua Li. She explained the theme of the house and the concept behind the poster from Island to Island. We propose entire
3: that institutional residency based on a theme called From Island to Island. Mm-hmm. The idea is one is from my background. I came from Green Island. It's a very small, tiny island from Taiwan, east coast of Taiwan. <laughs> so that uh, something like I thought it's an island. The Green Island has a very similar background with the Governance island with the military and also this type of the uh, prison that area (coughs) in the uh, green island. So I thought. island, this is an island, and then Manhattan is island, Rossbury is island, In the entire New York different states, in some way it's island, and we reflect to my background from a small island to the big island so-called Taiwan mm-hmm. is from island to island, and then today I came I come to island, it's from island to island, and then I feel like a, as an immigrant to uh, New York City we are in uh, reflect to an island, this concept, it's it's happened many, many connections <coughs> of the meaning, such as uh, immigrants, floating, uh, surrounded by uh, an ocean, feel like isolated, that type of the feeling. And this is actually uh, connected to different ethnic, all the migrations that... They have uh, this background and uh, also feeding to an like isolated in an island, but uh, to a new place. Once you grow up from an island, you feel you want to go outside. You find a new new world and new possibility. Mm-hmm. So the concept of the island are actually connected kind of like many of the subjects. From the poster, you can see that actually only two islands that directly pointed to where we came from and also where we're located right now in this house. And um, some artists uh, because of these uh, from island to island, I select the artists not only Taiwanese but uh, cover multi-ethnic that and even in different boroughs and I came from a different country, different ethnic and from different islands and they have a different experience once they change themselves to become a citizen of U.S. No matter they are the second generation or first generation, they went through some type of difficulty, struggling in a way to adjust themselves to a new land and find a new hope. Mm-hmm. So we can see this from island to island there are forty more than 40 artists in here they they interpret from island to island uh, very deeply, not only about to talk about the landscape they pick up the material from the island they carry the culture from there where they where they grew up, or their parents, or their ancestor. Yeah, they carry those culture into their artwork. Each month, we are changing the exhibition artwork, and also the studio artists also changing their artwork. So we will see every time you come, everybody come, we will find something new, something fresh. We have a different kinds of
1: event, performances, exhibitions, talks, workshops. Yes. September is going to be an exciting time to visit Building 7B with a series of special events and performances, most notably from September 1st to 3rd. On September 1st, the programs will start at 1 p.m. with artist talks and an art workshop. On September 2nd, around 2 to 3 p.m., there will be a special program with Jose Obando, the salsa curator of the Musical Instruments Department of the
0: Metropolitan Museum of Art. The museum has been collecting musical instruments for 141 years. My job is to acquisition Afro-Amerindian and Antillean instruments that pertain to the American musical genre known as salsa. Now once I bring in the instrument, I must be able to interpret the artifact from its origin through its complete trajectory. We utilize 12 subjects in an interdisciplinary manner from the social sciences and the humanities to explain the transculturalization of the 45 African tribes that were transported to the Spanish Caribbean as they meet the natives that had been developing there 5,000 years before Columbus arrived in the influence of the Spaniards that came to the Caribbean fresh from an 800 year Moorish rule. Salsa is not monolithic And since this is the very first time that those communities had met in the history, Queen Isabella did not want anybody to usurp or ruin her new Spain. So she kind of drew the maps wrong and kind of kept them isolated. So as Salsa is developing from its very first transculturalization, we count 350 years of the evolution of Salsa, which surpasses any other musical genre in the America? Rock is, what, 100 years old? Rap is, what, 60 years old? Um, jazz is, so 350 years, because that was the very first time that the Africans and the natives and the Spaniards met in the Spanish Caribbean. And so they are first in the development of music. And uh, that's that's what I do. Saturday, September the 2nd. The name of the lecture is The Transculturalization of the Taiwanese and the Cubans Through Salsa. When African slavery was abolished, the uh, Portuguese went to Formosa, their former colony, and Macau and the south of China and got the Qing and the Hakka and gave them fictitious eight year contracts to work in Cuba. And so, the very first ship, which was the Okendo, that came to pick up these people that had signed the contract. The Okendo was a ship that was used for slave trade. It just had slats where they could tie you up. And, and so when they get to um, Cuba, they realize that this is not a contract. They're slaves. So the index of suicides went up. But nevertheless, those people, the Asians, Chinese specifically, bought... Of course, changes in the food, changes in the clothing—very loose-fitting clothing, smocks, something resembling a guayabera shirt with the four pockets. There's no European clothing that rivals a guayabera, and the, the the natives, of course, didn't need that. I would I would I would say it would come from an Asian smock, and also musical instruments. Among them is a sunua, uh, which is a very loud, one of the loudest instruments I've ever heard. And so the Cubans use it inside of, of the conga. The conga is a street festival where you have 40 drums and 20 bells and right in the middle of it, corneta china. So I mentioned this to Lucia and she says, give me a lecture. Give me a lecture on the connection between Taiwan and salsa. And I said, okay. So I gave her, you know, like we gave me the date, the whole thing. So I gave her the invoice. And she said, why is this invoice so expensive? I said, because I'm bringing a band.
1: Also on the 2nd at 8 p.m., Chin-Chi Yang will be performing Watch Us, Together We Can Do It. We spoke to Chin-Chi about this decade-long project in episode 247. On September 3rd at 1 p.m., there will be performances by Coco Carroll and musician Skip Shuri. And at 3 p.m., there will be Weaving Islands interactive performance by Xiao Chu, Julia Xia. And now it's time for a short break. Talking Taiwan is a listener supported podcast, and we're so happy to share the news that we've reached our goal to raise $5,000 for our matching donation campaign. We'll be having another matching donation campaign offered by Ming Chang, so, any donations that you make right now will continue to be doubled you can make a donation at TalkingTaiwan.com forward slash support. If you'd like to help us raise funds by being a matching donor, just email us at TalkingTaiwanPodcast at gmail.com or support us directly at TalkingTaiwan.com forward slash support. Right now, your donation will be doubled during this $2,000 matching campaign. All of our donors will get exclusive first listening access to my interviews with Kevin Lin, one of the co-founders of Twitch and current co-founder and CEO of MetaTheory. The Boba Guys, co-founders Andrew Chow and Bin Chen. Qin Qi Yang, a multidisciplinary artist who has been inducted into the New York Foundation for the Arts Hall of Fame and Michelle Wolfe, an attorney, activist, and author of Reading with Patrick, which is a runner-up for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize and the Goddard Riverside Stephen Russo Book Prize for Social Justice. While at the town's American Arts Council House in July, I spoke to two of the artists who will be in the group show there in September. Sher Kuo is a Taiwanese artist who has worked as an environmental engineer in Taiwan for 11 years before moving to New York.
4: First of all, I came here to, to learn the photography because I used to be very into photography okay. when I was in Taiwan. Then when I came here to SBA, Scrappy Jobs, and for the first month, then I figured out, yeah. I, I feel bored on photography. <laughs> so that's why I started to move into something else like a sculpture, and like a drawings, anything I can do mm-hmm. would, except photography.
1: How long have you been in New York now?
4: Uh, it's been 12 years. Okay. Back and forth, yeah.
1: Can you talk about what inspires your art?
4: Uh, the main issue is the the city, and also the how how I myself fit in the city, and from there I can identify myself mm-hmm. where I am.
1: Your pieces are very striking because it looks like a night view, like an aerial night view. Yeah. It's very dark and like all the things that are lit up from an aerial yeah. view. So it's very interesting. And so how do you pick what kind of geographic areas you want to focus uh, on?
4: This project is initiated from the where I live, so it's right right now. It's New York City. So I have several of them, like all the constructions all, along all the Eastern River, Rickers Island, and Randall's Island, and one of another of them is all the construction and three airports of New York City, and uh, also the all the piers around Brooklyn and Manhattan.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you use like photographs, or like how do you make sure that it's actually geographically accurate? Because it looks very
4: much like a map. I kind of use the, made the Google Earth like, uh, like my means. In, in this project, I, I use the Google Earth to see, use the aerial view. So uh, I work a lot on that. Mm-hmm. So I do the screenshot and do a lot of digital. Drawings.
1: Did you do this piece also back here? Yeah. This is very interesting because when you look at it from a distance, it just looks like some floral vines and so forth. But when you look at the individual pieces, Uh what are those individual pieces made of?
4: Those are all the housings, also from Aerial View. Oh. It's the housings from Livertown, it's the first group housings in the U.S. after World War I. Oh. So I just withdraw all the shapes and then digital reconstruct them and printed them on the stickers so that I can play around on the walls. And with this wall, you know it's an ancient building, so the walls quite cracky. Right. And you have to cope with all the textures and have to avoid all the cracked parts. And the, the shape is more organic because the idea is uh, usually you'll see that it's invasion to the nature, I, like, I mean human construction. But my idea is, is human beings are also part of nature, so everything is natural, so I try to reconstruct that in, into more organic shape.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting because you don't realize that until you look very closely. And I was like, yeah, what is individual I, piece? Also,
4: I, I like to play yeah. around with the perspective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's mm-hmm. another part of my work.
1: Right. And you're going to be in the group show in September. Are these pieces going to be in the group show?
4: I think we're, we're going to show the cemetery ones. Yeah. So the, that, that, that piece is uh, cemeteries in New York, uh, also from the aerial view. So the same process but different approach. And what, so
1: I, what is the fascination with the cemeteries, where does that come
4: I, from? Uh, in 2012 I started to live in Queens and there are cemeteries around. Uh-huh. So sometimes I went there and just wandering, then I figure out I have to do something. with them. Yeah. So I, I started to do that with the aerial view and I withdraw each. Each uh, graveyard as one one dot and make it more like a astronomy photo. Because uh, when we look at the tombstones, there we are looking at the past. Yeah. And we also when we're seeing the stars, they are like a million years ago. It's just the life from the, oh, million light years ago. So we're looking at the past to both of them. Also, it, when we die, it's like uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And the stars are the, like a reflection of, the, of the, all the dust. Too. So, yeah, the, that's the idea of this project.
1: Yeah. Hmm. So you're saying that it's a representation of the um, cemetery and the tombstones, and it yeah. looks kind of like a, like stars in the sky, yeah. the way also that you. It's,
4: uh, you know, the cemetery is those, like a negative part of the city. So yeah, usually that, the has, real you, estate drops yeah. if
1: it's close to a cemetery. Yeah, yeah. Also yeah. play
4: with uh, the be like perspective. Because when you're in the in in yeah. city, you cannot see the shape of where you are. Yeah. But from the above, you can see everything. Yeah. It's like a, you're playing God, right?
1: Right, and you can see, like, the overview of how everything's yeah. connected, yeah. But
4: also, that's from, from the experience of when I was an environmental engineer, I have experience of taking, hel- taking helicopters to see all the constructions, chimneys on the ground. Oh, so everything, yeah. just everything sort of
1: I also spoke to artist Sarah Walco. Yeah, so
5: I've actually been working with this organization for over a decade. So I developed a strong relationship with their curator, Lucia Lee. And so I'm not Taiwanese, but Lucia found my work and I started working with her. And then it sort of developed... Because a lot of the themes that she's interested in working with that are are very much tied to um, a lot of climate change issues or ecological challenges and how artists are dealing with those themes is very much what my work is about. I work in a lot of different mediums in sculpture and installation and film my process initially starts with a lot of like walking in nature or just walking around in any kind of place and collecting materials so i use a lot of um, twigs and bark and shells and all kinds of different things that i find out in landscapes i also walk through thrift stores and estate sales and i use a lot of like repurposed materials and materials that are meant to be discarded and i Basically, bring together that whole collection and of things, and then also I like using a lot of beads and rhinestones and thread and a lot of these materials that were considered like low art or traditional feminine mm-hmm. handicraft mm-hmm. that were like not you know the high art, fine art. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it's like I kind of like to bring all those worlds together and that's sort of the start of my process. And then what comes from that I don't know. I have to spend a lot of time sort of experimenting and kind of melding things together and what comes out and embellishing things. Um, I work in a couple different ways. Sometimes I have a specific idea and I have a specific material I want to work with so I will like order that or whatever. But a lot of it is just sort of bringing all these materials together and then getting into a flow state and kind of seeing what happens.
1: Can you talk about some of the pieces that you have in the house right now? Yeah, so the
5: house, as you see, is is not a neutral space, right? It's like peeling paint on the walls. And as soon as I walked into the room where I have my exhibition, it is a fireplace and a mantelpiece and windows and all these kind of architectural things that make it not a neutral space, which is fine. The minute I walked in, I thought, okay, I have to work with this, not, not right. you know, not sort of against it. And so um, I... Uh, I really loved the fireplace and the mantle because I like creating altars. I like using ritual and ceremony in my work and thinking about uh, all of our homes too. Like, what are the th- what are the places in your homes where you sort of created an altar out of all these different aspects of your life? You know. So I worked on the mantle with a lot of different sculptures as as a sort of altar, and then I brought in a lot of wallpaper that I had in my studio, and I was looking at all the peeling walls, and I kind of created this installation with this already existing wallpaper that kind of climbs from one side of the room to the other. Oh, that's the
1: one that's over the doorway. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's beautiful. Did you... Cut that out and shape that? Yeah, out. that's
5: wallpaper that's like early 19th century traditional wallpaper for like a Same. parlor, mm-hmm. and, which is very similar to this kind of room, but also something that was designed to be like, uh, oh, this is our relationship with nature, and then it's like so manicured and removed from yeah. nature, so mm-hmm. it was very interesting to me to begin with, and then, yeah, so I kind of brought that in, and then um, all of my Uh, installations have a lot of soil around them so I brought like a huge bag of soil and kind of created little landing spaces for some of the sculptures so it was a it was a a kind of a a mix of a process between things that were already made before I got here and then things that I
1: just created
5: once I was in the space.
1: One of your pieces the one with the rope on the floor I see there's some uh, text and words involved. So, do you often incorporate text and story in a lot of your always. pieces?
5: Yeah, okay. Always. Yeah. so It's
1: actually my starting point. Okay. I always
5: say my starting point is literature, poetry, storytelling.
1: So, is this my poetry point. that you um, create yourself or do you use poetry that inspires your pieces? It's a mix. Okay. It's a mix of both.
5: Um, I kind of, like, okay, so, for example, for this show, I started creating a Word document of all the text that that was coming to mind. And some of it's like, comes from me, when all of a sudden I just, you know, something appears in your head. You're Mm -hmm. like, oh, what if I just wrote, um, why don't you bring your whole cast of characters? Or, you know, I just... I like the idea of things being, like, inquisitive or and, and incorporating the viewer and bringing the viewer in. But then I read poetry. So the um, so the title of my exhibition is um, Between the Feast and the Ground, is where we live now. And that is an adaptation from uh, Ida Limon, who is the current poet laureate of the United States. And so I heard... The line from her poem is, between the feast and the ground is where you live now, and I thought it was like such a beautiful statement and it also tied into the concepts of my work, but I changed the word you to we, because I like to have the incorporation of the viewer, like I use a lot of like we and us and you and questioning in my text so that the viewer feels very included. But um, I consider the objects in my work and the text like symbiotic relationship, like one can't exist without the other. If I just had the objects without the text, it actually wouldn't make that much sense. This show in particular, I was thinking a lot about, I'm um, really influenced by uh, like climate fiction and literature and artists that are working around, as I mentioned before, climate change, and I'm just super fascinated with the role that imagination plays in this place that we're at in our world right now, right? And so I like thinking about the artists that are working in this space as creating like a lot of hope and a lot of like kind of muscular hope, you know, it's not... It's not just a whimsical idea, it could potentially be uh, something that aids us in the future of action. That's something that aids us in the future of like, how do we pivot this story? Um, And there's a really amazing uh, Rebecca Solnick quote that I love a lot that she says um, People have always been really, really good at imagining the end of the world. Which is much, much easier than imagining the strange sidelong paths of change that we have to make in order to create a world without end. And I think that's the role of the imagination. You know, I think, the
1: world without end.
5: Yeah, it, it's like, yeah. Well, if it ends, it's easy. Then it ends. But like, let's 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 use all of our skills to say it's not going to. So then, what are we going to do? And I see all these artists and creators making these stories and these mythologies and our mythologies have to lead us, right? Mm-hmm. They often have to come first. Um, so I see them creating them in this way that feels like a, a, a roadmap that we might use in the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's something important to keep some hope, especially when you're looking at climate change. It's, it's very easy to be very gloom and doom and feel very powerless, but... Um, maybe we need to focus on the hope that we can do something about it it's not too late or even after you know dealing with the pandemic like you know what can we do to move forward and yeah. to still live and how can we pivot and how can we invent mm-hmm. and how
5: can we take all the little scraps around us and make something that is an aid like mm-hmm. it's like how can we continue to be innovative and, and deal with that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. rather than a, a dystopian future I right I also kind of love, even though it, it certainly is hard for people to get here, but I love that people have to take a boat to get here. It's like, like <laughs> a little a adventure. It's a little adventure. Well, it's, like
1: a, it's a pilgrimage. Yeah. You know? yeah and it's
5: yeah. like, uh, but I love the um, filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky always says, like, like the best kind of art like sort of sets you up for a transformative experience yeah yeah. and and so you're more set up for a transformative experience if you've taken a boat to get somewhere
1: i hope you've enjoyed this episode of talking taiwan about the upcoming events in september at the taiwanese american arts council's house building 7b in nolan park at new york's governor's island to learn more about the artists featured in this episode and see some of their artwork Visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list the artists who will be participating in September's group show. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin.
0: Talking Taiwan is brought to you by forumosa.com.